one. We're going to go ahead and jump right in, if that's okay with you. I can't express my gratefulness this morning to God for the privilege to be able to be back here uh, today. Uh, I never would have imagined a month ago that uh, it would be a month of Sundays before I would uh, get back here. And I don't know that I've missed a month of Sundays uh, of church in my life, uh, but I am truly grateful to be back here this morning. And uh, I could spend uh, all service thanking everyone for all of the uh, love and compassion you have for us while we were sick. Uh, but I don't know how much wind I have today, so if it's okay, we'll take another service uh, and we'll do that. In spite of my best efforts to bounce back, uh, I feel like it's more of a slow roll to get things back where they need to be. And so I ask that you'd bear with us today and then maybe the next week or so as we get our strength back where it needs to be. I never would have imagined uh, that this would take such a toll uh, on my body uh, and on my mind. And for a guy who was uh, behind the, the count a little bit to begin with, uh, it's definitely set us back just a little bit. And uh, this morning, I'm going to take a little while to introduce the message and try to be very quick with it. Uh, I have a bar stool sitting right over there behind those stairs just in case we get to the place where we need that. Uh, but I know I will be picked on incessantly if I preach from a bar stool. And so we're going to try to get through that this morning without having to, to do that. Uh, I'll be honest with you, to relive the last three weeks, um, uh, to be honest with you, in my mind makes me nauseated. Uh, to think about all that we would go through uh, in the last uh, three or four weeks. Uh, to be honest, I've described it for many of you uh, in one word. It was a nightmare. And uh, never would have imagined that it would be that way. That's the best way that I could describe it. Unfortunately, the message that I have to preach this morning uh, is, uh, really deals with what the Lord showed me while I was sick. And so I'm going to have to share you how that came about, so I'm going to have to kind of go down through the timeline of what we experienced. I think it was the 15th, it was a Saturday, that I wasn't feeling well, and I don't uh, get to the place very often where I'm sick. And so I decided to go to the doctor just to be careful, to be sure, to get tested for this pestilence. And the doctor walks out to my car, and he says, well, Mr. Andrews, you are positive. And I says, positive for what? And he says, what do you think? And I says, oh, well, here we go. And I says, what do you think? Is it a bad case? Are we going to make it through this? And he says to me, he says, as young and as healthy and as strong as you look, uh, you should be fine. Don't laugh. You should be fine. He says, you should have a mild case of this. Go home and have a 10-day vacation. And I was kind of excited about that, to be honest with you, because it's going to be an excuse not to answer my phone for 10 days. Uh, but little did I know that about seven hours later, what I would call the first round of this evil uh, would really begin to take its grip on our home. Uh, it started off with uh, a bad fever, just felt hot all over and couldn't get relief uh, anyways. The fever uh, was followed by chills and body aches, uh, then a horrible headache to where I felt like my brain was trying to push the eyeballs out of my head. And I began to realize it was, might not be as mild as the doctor thought it was going to be, and things began to really get serious. And so I began to pray seriously that God would take that away from me and away from my body. A couple of days later, I would unfortunately lose my taste, uh, which if you know me very well, you know that I like to eat and I like to drink, and losing my taste is probably one of the uh, most critical things that could happen to a guy like me. I would develop a cough, lose my taste, and no matter how hard, how hard I tried, uh, in my imagination, I could not make bitter coffee taste good. I've only had three cups of coffee in four weeks, and that is just purgatory in itself. 
About three or four days into it, Leslie would test positive, and Miley would test positive, and Miley would scare the daylights out of us uh, by passing out in the kitchen one morning and laying out there on the floor. Uh, she passed out, was unconscious for a few moments, and we walked over trying to get her to wake up, and she says, what? She says, I was only closing my eyes for a moment, and that's what she did, but she scared mom and dad uh, very much with that. Then the vomiting and the nausea began to take grip on us after the headaches and the fever. It just continually compounded one day after another. And I again would pray and ask the Lord to take it away, and the Lord hadn't taken it away from us. Uh, I'm in one bed. My wife is stationed in the living room. That's where she uh, held up, and now she's going through the worst of this, and we're both nauseated. We're sick. And about 2.30 one morning, about the sixth or seventh day, my throat began to swell up and to close up, and uh, I knew that I was not going to be able to make it much longer like that and got up and told my wife I had to go to the hospital. And so I drove myself to Forest General and sat in the emergency room for about three hours and got back to the back, and they told me there was nothing they really could do but give me some shots and some medicine uh, to try to treat the symptoms. After I got home that morning, Leslie was getting worse and worse, and I'm going somewhere with this, so I need you to pay close attention. Leslie began to get worse, she began to cough, and she called out from the room she was in, uh, and I went in, and Leslie had now passed out and was, was laying there and unconscious for a few moments. And I'm not slapping my wife, so don't report me, okay? But I'm trying to get her to wake up because she is non-responsive, and all she did was let out a gasp of air and fell to the floor. I got my wife to the couch and began to try to wake her up because uh, we need to keep her around here. I need her in my life. And uh, slowly but surely, she regained consciousness, so it was very pale. And I told her we had to get her to the hospital, so we drove her to the hospital. Now we have the blind leading the blind. I'm sick as could be, and she's sick as could be, and Miley is our full-time nurse and was just an all-star through this whole thing. We get her to the hospital, and they begin running tests on her and realize that her COVID has become pneumonia. And I gave her some medicine for that. And after that, I went home. My fever's still just climbing, and it's hot, and I can't get any relief. And I would get a shower about every two hours and ask the Lord to take this away. The shower was a place that I prayed. And after over two weeks into this and there was no change, I am literally begging God to take this away from our home. And it was one day in the shower. And you're going to have to bear with me. I'm begging God to just take this away from our home. It was bad. It was a nightmare. And God just as clearly replied, no. He was not going to take it away. I didn't like that. I understood without question that we were going to have to go through this. I, w I wondered to myself, was there not enough people praying I got text messages from all over the world from people who were praying for us, and I'm thinking, God, why don't you take this away? God, there's a lot of people praying. I've gotten text messages and cards. Brother Bo even sent me a laser-engraved potato that said, praying for you. No joke, it's called a potato parcel, and I got a potato from Brother Bo in the mail that said he was praying for me. And I'm in the shower, and I'm begging God to remove this, and God, just as clearly as he had sent me a text message, says, no, you're going to have to go through this. My wife is in one room, deathly sick, and I'm in one room, and my daughter's playing nurse. And I have this dilemma because what I've asked for is not what the Lord wanted. And that was very disappointing. I preached my whole ministry life, 26 years, on how we should desire God's will. 
And there's nothing greater than God's will. And there's nothing more of a privilege than doing God's will. And yet now God's will is one of the darkest valleys I would ever go through in my life. And as I was in the shower, I told the Lord, okay, okay, I don't like this. I don't like my wife being sick. I don't like being sick. I don't like my daughter being sick. But if we've got to go through this, and if this is your will, we go through this. I don't want to just go through it. I want to grow through it. And so I asked the Lord for something. I asked the Lord that he would help me walk out of the valley with something. I didn't want to go through that. And I mean, it was bad. I didn't want to go through that without coming out of that valley with something. Why did the Lord want us to go through that? And he led me to Acts chapter 1. And he showed me what I needed. God doesn't waste suffering. God leads us through valleys for reasons. And what he showed me was in Acts chapter 1. And I promise you, I get past this introduction, we're going to be all right, okay? I may even preach long today. Not as long as my dad did the other day, but I may preach long. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, speaking after the resurrection of Christ. Now watch verse number three. The Bible says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 1, in verse number 3, I found what I needed, and I promise you, you need and you will need what I needed in verse number 3. There's a single word that describes how Christ viewed the will of God for his life. It's a wonderful word. It's an amazing word. Verse 3 says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. Notice that word passion. In that one word passion, the Greek word is pasco. It describes how Christ viewed the will of his father. He viewed it as his passion. Now, notice it didn't say after his preference. It said after his passion. Christ viewed the will of God, the will of his father for his life and all that he would go through. The Bible uses this word one time in all of scripture to describe how Christ viewed the will of his father and he viewed the will of his father as a passion. It was a passion to him. It's amazing that word is mentioned 41 times in scripture, but only in this one account do you find it meaning the word passion. Now, why is this important? You need to understand this. This is what I learned through the valley that we just went through. You need to understand that all that Christ did and all that he was was proving that the will of God was his passion. From the day that he was born to the day that he rose, he was proving through every action through everything that he endured, through everything that he did and did not do, through the will of God that he accepted in his life, he proved through his life and all that he went through in his life that the will of God was nothing less than a passion. No matter what circumstance, you think about this, no matter what circumstance the father led him to, no matter what circumstance the father put him in, 
He accepted it willingly. Why? Because it was the will of his father, and that's what he was passionate about. Now, why is this important to us? Well, as I prayed and I asked God to take this away, God says, no, I'm not going to take it away, and I was not very happy about that. I was not excited about continuing to march through the darkest valley I think I've ever gone through in my life. I never would have imagined it would have attacked us the way that it did. And now God says, I want you to continue on. That's my will. I had a dilemma whether or not I was going to accept God's will for my life in that instant. And I was going to have to go through this to prove my passion, that the will of God was my passion Can I tell you this morning, dark valleys are going to help you decide whether or not the will of God is a passion or just a pastime. Dark valleys. Psalms 23 kept replaying in my mind the entire time I'm laying in bed and and, and sometimes you can't sleep and sometimes you're deathly tired. And Psalms 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I felt like that's where we were. And I knew that God was leading us through this valley. And even though that I didn't like it, I had to accept the fact that sometimes the will of God leads you through valleys. And that's where we prove that we're passionate about the will of God by accepting even the times and the places and the circumstances that we would rather not have gone through. I want you to understand this goes beyond COVID this morning. Why Why does the Lord want us to know this truth? I believe there's dark valleys coming for the Christian in the world we're living in today. Second Timothy, what does the Bible say? In the last days, perilous times are going to come. As a friend of ours says, perilous, right, Miley? Perilous. Perilous times are going to come. As a child of God, you're going to go through dark valleys. I just came out of the darkest one I've ever been in in my lifetime. And I'm sure there's more valleys coming for the Christian. And listen, if the will of God for your life is just a pastime, there's no way on earth you're going to fulfill the will of God. It's got to become your passion. Do you get to the place that you accept the will of God, even the dark valleys? Why? Because that's your passion. And we see Christ experiencing all that he did. Why? He was proving that he was willing to pay the price for his passion. That's a lesson I learned I want to share with you briefly this morning. The message is simply this. The price to prove your passion. The price to prove your passion. Can I tell you this morning, if the will of God is truly your passion, you're going to have to pay a price to prove it. You're going to have to be willing to do what Christ did. Now, here's the good news. We have a pattern to follow. Back in Luke chapter number 2, I'm going to give you just a few things this morning, if the Lord will allow us to get through. Luke chapter number 2, I want to read something for you. Going back to the early days of the life of Christ. Jesus' family has come to Jerusalem for the Passover. They've gone through all the Passover festivities. Now it's time to go home. Everyone packs up and begins the caravan back home. And Jesus' family thought that he had gone on with relatives. And so therefore, uh, they were not too concerned about him. And then lo and behold, a day's journey into it. They realized they had lost Jesus. So for those of you parents who've left your children somewhere before, it's okay. Even Jesus' parents left him somewhere before. They began looking for him and could not find him. And finally, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, they find him sitting in the temple with the doctors asking questions, speaking with them at 12 years old. They come to him and ask him why he ran away, if you will. In verse 49, the Bible says this, And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business. Now watch this. 
When everyone else had packed up and gone home and gone on their way, Jesus stayed put. Why? He says, because I must be about my father's business. Now, the first price that I want you to see this morning that you're going to have to pay to prove that the will of God is your passion, number one, notice this, you're going to have to be willing to stay put. Sometimes you're going to have to stay put. So what do you mean by that? When everyone else goes home, Christ stayed put. Why? He says, I must be about my father's business. In the world we're living in today, there's so many people coming and going and with all the disruption, people coming and going to church and getting in and out of church. And I'm going to tell you something, for the will of God to be your passion, you're going to have to come to the place where you're willing to stay put because you know you must be about your father's business. In spite of the circumstances we're living in, in spite of the tumultuous times that we're living in, the will of God must be your passion, and sometimes that means you're going to have to stay put when everybody else goes home. I've studied the heroes of the faith. I read a lot about the heroes of the faith, especially when I was sick, and I've found a common denominator. That common denominator is their service always took priority over their circumstances. Their service to God and doing the will of God always overshadowed and always trumped the circumstances they were living in. So what do you mean by that? Acts chapter number 20, we read about Paul. Listen closely. The Bible says, now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. What is he doing? He's about the will of God. Not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. The Apostle Paul is going about the will of God for his life. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm about to lead you through a valley. See, how do you know it's a valley? Bonds and afflictions were waiting on him. But listen what he says. But none of these things move me. What does he say? He says, look, the circumstances are not good. I'm going into a valley. I'm going to a difficult time. But watch this. I'm not going to be moved by the circumstances because his service to God overshadowed everything. And if the will of God is truly our passion this morning, you're going to get to the place where you stay put in the will of God regardless of the circumstances. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The last 21 days, that was hard living. That was hard to live. Wondering why God was allowing us to go through that. Didn't want to go through that. You're laying in bed and can't hardly move and you hear your wife in there and she's sick and she's moaning and she passes out and your daughter passes out and you're going through this valley and you're not enjoying this valley and oh, you begin to want to doubt God. It's true. You want to doubt God. Why? God, is there sin in my life? Is there something wrong? God, what's going on? Oh, no. God was about to give me one of the greatest lessons of my life in showing me that his will has to be my passion. And when it's my passion, I'm going to stay put when everybody else goes home. You better be willing to do that. We're living in a time, I promise you, listen, right now, we have a lot of empty chairs today because of the virus, and I'm thankful for the folks that are watching online. But there's going to come a time that the the ranks among Christians are going to get thinned out quick. A lot of people are going to pack up and go home in caravans. And only if the will of God is your passion are you going to stay put in the will of God for your life. I'll tell you one of the things that, that scared me early on with this virus as a pastor. I said, we've got to keep things normal. And we've got to keep things stable. You have no idea how much I agonized yesterday uh, sitting in the parking lot uh, of a store on whether or not to cancel Sunday school. 
Why? Because disruptions derail people. One Sunday service, people miss one Sunday service, it gets derailed. And people, when they don't have that normal pattern, they get out of church and sometimes they're out for years just because they miss that one service. And I said, we've got to keep things normal. We've got to keep things rolling. Uh, I don't want to listen. I don't want to cancel a service. I don't want to cancel Sunday school. But just felt led to do that yesterday. Can I tell you something this morning? I have come to the conclusion I can't keep things normal. I can't. I have, I've worked hard. Our staff has worked hard. Our, our church has worked hard to keep things stable and normal to keep Sunday school going, to keep services regular. But can I tell you something? I can't keep things normal. I can't keep you in church. I can't keep you in Sunday school. I can't keep you walking with God. I can't keep you praying. But understand this. When the will of God becomes your passion, you'll stay put no matter what the circumstances are. But the will of God's got to be your passion. It can't be a pastime. If you're a Sunday morning only Christian, I hate to tell you this, you're not going to make it. The will of God's got to be a passion, not a pastime. It's got to be what your life is all about, that no matter what, I'm going to do the will of God. It doesn't matter if it's a dark valley. It doesn't matter if bonds and afflictions wait. I'm going to stay put. Why? Because the will of God's my passion. And oh, what a tough pill that was to swallow. God would say, you're going to have to go through this. And decide I'm going to stay put in the will of God no matter what. Joshua and Caleb, amongst those 12 spies that went into the promised land. Ten came back and what did they say? There's giants there. Do you know what they're saying? Bad circumstances. We're heading into bad circumstances, boys. We, we don't need to go there. We don't need to do that. But Joshua and Caleb says, what are we going to do? We're well able to go. We're well able to take it. What did they say? Stay the course. Why? The will of God was their passion. It was their passion. It wasn't a pastime. Number one, the price you're going to pay to prove your passion is be willing to stay put. Christ showed us that just at 12 years old, and we prove our passion by the price we're willing to pay. A couple of chapters over in Luke chapter 4, I read something else that jumped out at me where Christ is showing me how to prove my passion. Number one, by staying put when others go home. In chapter number four, we read where Jesus is led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The Bible says he had fasted 40 days. The Bible says he was hungered. And then here comes the devil. By the way, there's no mistake there that he came after. He was hungered. He jumped all over me like a coward while I was sick. He's a coward. He's going to come to you when you're weak. He's going to come to you when you're hungered. Luke chapter number four, notice the Bible says he offers him bread. He says, if thou be the son of God, command the stone to be made bread. He says to him, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Verse five, he takes him up to the high mountains, shows unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them that is delivered unto thee and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou wilt worship me, all shall be thine. He offered him the kingdoms. He takes him up to the pinnacle and you know the story, but I want you to notice what Christ did. Christ stood firm. Christ stood firm. Why? Because the will of God was his passion. No matter what the devil offered him, he stood firm on the will of God. Why? Because it was his passion. That's the second price you're going to have to pay to prove what your passion is. Number two, be willing to stand firm. Not just stay put, but stand firm. Can I tell you, the very same devil 
that made these offers to Christ has an offer for you. And he's going to offer you everything under the sun if you will just neglect and forsake the will of God for your life. He'll offer you no persecution. People will leave you alone. You won't be an outcast or an outsider if you'll just forsake the will of God for your life. But listen to me. If the will of God's just a pastime for you, you'll forsake the will of God in your life and the testimony just for a little bit of relief of not being that outcast and that outsider. But oh, if the will of God is your passion, you're going to stand firm no matter what the offer of the world is. It's going to offer you a lot for your kids. And oh, he knows how to get to us through our kids. Your kids will fit in, mom and dad, if you just get rid of that will of God. Your kids will fit in if you just go to a church where things are a little bit more fun and more relaxed and people don't preach against sin. You'll be liked a whole lot more. But oh, if you're going to fulfill the will of God, you're going to have to be willing to stand firm. Now, can I tell you something this morning we're guilty of? We're guilty of making statements, but not making stands. We're so guilty of that, aren't we? Every one of us has become a philosopher with the advent of social media. We quote ourselves. Don't do that, all right? Quote somebody else. Don't quote yourself. We get on and we, we Rush Limbaugh used to call it drive-by media. It's a very fitting term. We go on social media and we just drive by and splatter our opinions and we splatter our ideals out there. And we're very good at making statements about what we are going to do and what we're not going to do, but we're not very good at making stands. The Bible says the talk of the lips is penury. That means poverty. That means our talk is cheap and our words are cheap, but if we're going to fulfill the will of God, we've got to stand firm as in the life of Joseph. Oh, Potiphar's wife came to Joseph and came to Joseph, and oh, Joseph could have gave in. And oh, Joseph could have had the pleasure of another man's wife. Joseph could have had that. And Joseph says, I cannot sin against God. But not only did he make a statement, Oh, when she started really putting the moves on him, Joseph flew out of the house. He made a stand. Listen to me. If you're going to fulfill the will of God for your life, sooner or later your statements have got to become stands. You're going to have to follow through on what we like talking about. Or else there's no chance on earth we're going to fulfill the will of God. Can I tell you the last 21 days of misery that we went through, I've had to learn to practice a lot of what I preach. The grace of God is sufficient. We're about to find out. We're about to find out. Leslie came in the room one morning. My eyes were hurting so bad. Every morning we still wake up with headaches and nausea. My eyes were hurting so bad and Leslie came into my room and I said, I don't know what he's doing, but I trust him. And even though I trust the God of heaven with my ever-living soul that will spend eternity with him, it was still hard for me to trust him with my health because it felt so bad. And right about that time when you're hungered, here comes the offer. He's left you alone. Look, all these people from around, I mean around the world, we're getting text messages. If, by the way, if I didn't return your text message, please don't be mad at me. When I pulled my phone out, I was laying in bed, just the light from my phone hurt my eyes. So if I didn't return your text, please, please forgive me. Don't hold that against me. Um, I'll just blame it on my wife. I was caring for her, okay? So just don't be mad at me. All those text messages, here comes the offer. Look, all these people are praying, nothing's happening, you're not getting any better. The doctor told me five days the worst would be over. He lied. <laughs> Ten days I would have no symptoms. He lied again. I want to go get my money back. 
It kept going and going, and the devil comes, and he says, look, nothing's working. Your prayer's not working. Grace is not sufficient. But can I tell you, I know that grace is sufficient because I'm here today. I had to be willing to go through that valley, and I had to stand firm. Yet oftentimes, we're like Peter, aren't we? Jesus comes to Peter, and he says, Peter, Satan hath desired you to have you that he may sift you as weed. You know what Jesus was telling Peter? You're about to go through a valley, Peter. This wasn't just a demon. This was the devil himself. The devil's about to beat Peter. What did Peter say? Oh, he swole up. I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with you to death. And all of a sudden, here comes the army to take Jesus away, and we find Peter running home. You see, he was good at making statements, but not good at making stands. Now, folks, listen to me this morning. If you're going to fulfill the will of God, you've got to be willing to stand firm. You're going to prove your passion by where you choose to stand. Ephesians 6.13, I'll give you this, and I'll go to the third thing. The Bible says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. You know what that evil day is? Those are the dark valleys. I've gone through some valleys, Brother Jim. I've gone through some valleys, never like I have in the last three weeks. And oh, in that evil day, sometimes it was tough to stand. If the will of God is not your passion, if the, listen, if church is just something you play with, if it's just a pastime, all right, if it's just something you can do to appease your conscience, if church is a pastime and not your passion, I hate to tell you, you're not going to stand. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Listen, things don't look like they're getting any better in the world that we're living in. It's about to get tough for Christians. You're going to have to pay a price to stand on what you say you believe. That's why I believe half of the American church is going to run like Peter. Why? Because the will of God's not our passion. It's just a pastime. In the end, I'll promise you, if you're saved, all that will matter is that you did all to stand. So number two, you're going to have to be willing to stand firm. Stay put. Stand firm in spite of the circumstances. But then... Here's the tough one. And oh, here's the tough one. Back in Acts chapter number one, I told you that word passion is mentioned 41 times in scripture. I looked it up. 41 times. One time, it means passion. Do you know what the other 40 times that word means? Boy, this is where the lesson hit home. The other 40 times, it means suffering. It means suffering. Reread verse 3, Acts 1, to whom also he showed himself alive after his suffering. The will of God for his son was not a prosperous thing. It was a painful thing. I went back and I reread the crucifixion, the accounts of the mocking and the scourging and the trial and the thorns and the nails and all the suffering that Christ went through. Do you know what he was doing? He was proving that the will of his father was his passion. You don't get nails put in your hands and thorns put on your head if it's just a pastime. It's got to be a passion. Now watch this. He was proving his passion in probably one of the most clearest ways. The third thing, notice this. He was willing to suffer long. Be willing to suffer long. When I asked God to take this away from our house, and I am begging God, I am begging God take this away from our house. It was horrible. I was not prepared for his answer. You know, there's some godly people praying for us. Some of you in this room. Others, maybe. Missionaries from all over the world texting us. They're praying for us. 
I'm thinking, surely God's going to answer our prayer. But no, it was God's will that we suffer. It was God's will that we suffer. And oh, how that challenged my faith. But can I tell you this? The lesson that God had for me, I had to come to the place. Now, hear me out. If you go home with anything, please go home with this. I had to come to the place where I was so passionate about his will that I was willing to suffer for it. Okay. I don't like this. It doesn't feel good. My wife's sick. My daughter's sick. I'm away from church. God, I don't like this, but I want to get to the place where I'm so passionate about your will that I'm okay with suffering for it. And that was the lesson that God wanted me to learn. That if you're going to stand up in this new world that we're living in and fulfill my will and lead Central Baptist Church, you're going to have to be willing to be so passionate about my will that you'll accept suffering that comes along with my will. This is what thins out the men from the boys. Because I'll be honest with you, that night in the shower when he said no, I wanted to argue a little bit. Do you ever argue with God? You're probably more spiritual than I am. You probably don't. I was wanting to argue with God. Wait a minute, God. Wait a minute. God, I surrendered my life to you. What else do you want? You want me to suffer? And then you go back and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all the suffering that came along with the will of God for Christ. Let me give you this real quickly. I believe this is what drove Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Listen close. Verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Do you see the meat in that verse? For the which what? Cause. I suffer. Folks, can I tell you something? The cause of Christ and the will of God are causes worth suffering for. Hebrews chapter 11, those great heroes of the faith, they suffered for what? For the cause. What did David say? Is there not a cause? I mean, folks, there's a problem in Christianity today. We want a sanitized, suffering-less Christianity. We don't want to have to suffer for what we believe. But why on earth do so many generations before us, all the way back to the patriarch, why did they have to suffer for what they believed? And we get a pass. Folks, we've gotten a little bit soft, I believe. I believe this is a decision that Esther had to come through in Esther chapter 4. What did she say? So will I go. And unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Esther had to come to the place. You know, I kind of feel like Esther. I think we came to the same place while I was sick. Now, obviously, hers was more serious than mine. To where Esther says, listen, if I go in unto the king to do the will of God, I know I'm here for such a time as this. And if I go do the will of God, it could cost me my life. And she had to come to the place where she was willing to suffer long for the will of God for her life. And she said, if I perish, I perish. Number three, we prove our passion for the will of God when we come to the place where we're willing to suffer for it. We're willing to suffer for it. This is the passion that sustained Job when he said this. His wife comes to him as he suffers. His wife decides partway through the valley, "Uh uh-uh, I've had enough. She was looking for that exit ramp out of the valley that they were going through, losing their children, their property. And she says, why don't you just curse God and die? God's left you alone. You know what she did? She took the offer. When she was struggling and going through this valley, the devil comes to her and says, God's left you alone. She says, you know what? You're right. Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And what did Job say to her? I love what he said. 
He says, but he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. You know what he did? Job says, I'm so passionate about the will of God, I'm not going to sin with my lips. I'm not going to give up on God. I'm not going to turn my back up on God. I'm willing to suffer for the will of God. I know God knows what he's doing. You lost 10 kids. You lost your health. You lost your friends. Your wife turned your back on you. And Job just kept moving on. He stayed put. He stood firm. He was willing to suffer. Why? Because the will of God for his life was not a pastime. It was a passion. And oh, Job fulfilled the will of God for his life. He said as much in Job chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me. Yet will I trust him, even if he kills me. I never thought I was going to die. I really didn't. I know several of you did. I found that out later. Never thought I was going to die, but I honestly did not know how it was going to end. We just felt so bad. Hard to think straight. I still have trouble adding, doing math. I didn't know how it was going to end, but I had to accept the fact that sometimes the will of God includes suffering. And if I'm willing to suffer for the will of God, that's when the will of God becomes my passion. Now, here's the end all, and I'll close. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we start at the beginning of the life of Christ. We see Christ says, I must be about my father's business. He was willing to stay put. For the will of God to be a passion, not a pastime, you're going to have to stay put when others go home. Sometimes you're going to have to be willing to stand firm when the offers come to give up. Sometimes you're going to have to be willing to suffer. Say, well, how do we do that? Let's go to the end of the life of Christ in Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to close. Matthew chapter number 26. I want to show you how. How to get to the place to be willing to pay the price for the passion of the will of God. Matthew chapter 26. If you would look down to about verse 39. All through the life of Christ, we see his father's will as his passion by staying put, standing firm, and being willing to suffer. Now, here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to die. The Bible says that he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. This morning, the way that we get to the place where the will of God becomes our passion is finally, notice, be willing to surrender all. Be willing to surrender all. You see, in the end, the price you pay to do the Father's will is your will. If you truly and genuinely desire to do the will of our Father, that means you're going to have to do that at the cost of your will. And here we see Christ in the last hours, last days of his life, we see him here saying, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass. Oh, I was praying that all throughout the last three weeks. Or if it be your will, let this cup pass. But finally, I came to the place where I had to say, not as I will, but as thou will. You know, it was not my will to suffer. And I'll be honest. Look, I'm a weenie when it comes to pain, but boy, it was suffering. My wife's tough and she was suffering. My, my daughter was suffering a little bit with us. It was not my will that we suffer, but it was my Father's will that we suffer. And through that suffering, 
I learned to surrender my will to his and decided that I was going to make his will my passion. I remember my dad surrendered to preach. My dad was so excited at the privilege that God had called him to preach. And I can't remember how old I was back then. My dad began selling everything. I'm thankful you can't sell humans because he might have sold one of us. He sold the house property. I remember he sold the playhouse. He even sold our picnic table. He sold it all. Why? Because of the privilege of doing his father's will. It was a privilege. You see, he was willing to sacrifice all of what he had, and it was his for his father's will. That's how we prove our passion. Why? Because we're willing to surrender and we're willing to sacrifice all of our desires and all of our our, our thoughts and ideals for only what the Father's will is for our life. That's when the will of God will become your passion. I believe it was Brother Edwards mentioned C.T. Studd the other day. One of the songs we sing, Lord, Send Me Anywhere, came from his poem, If Jesus Christ Be God and Died for Me, that no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. You know what he's saying? If the will of God is truly your passion, you'll be willing to surrender all. Now, folks, I hope you never get COVID. I hope you never get it. But what we're preaching about this morning goes far beyond a virus. It goes beyond God's people making up their mind that the will of God is going to be their passion and not their pastime. And Christ shows us very simply in Scripture The price you're going to pay for the will of God being your passion, number one, you've got to be willing this morning. Okay, the Bible says if there first be a willing mind, we've got to be willing, our will for his. We've got to be willing to stay put, to stand firm. We've got to be willing to suffer sometimes. and We've got to be willing to surrender. And that's how we prove that the will of God will become our passion and not just a pastime. And that's how we'll fulfill the will of God for our life in the days that we're living. I want your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Heads bowed.